The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 426 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is therapeutic jurisprudence, the lawyer as healer, question mark. Michael Crystal has practiced criminal law for 20 years. In the field of therapeutic jurisprudence, he's acknowledged as an advocate in his interactions with clients. And from all of his experience over the 20 years, he himself has recognized difficulties that arise because the needs of some clients may be beyond the scope of the justice system, even though criminality may be involved. All of which and more is why our topic, therapeutic jurisprudence, the lawyer as healer, is important for lawyers and for family caregivers. Now, to discuss it, our guest is Michael Crystal. Michael is a partner at the law firm of Spiteri and Ursulac, LLP, where he leads the class action group. He's currently class counsel in various personal health information class actions. In his previous work, primarily in criminal law, he appeared at all levels of trial and appellate courts in Ontario, including three appearances as lead counsel before the Supreme Court of Canada. In his privacy practice, he provides strategic advice on privacy, data breaches, and legislative drafting to government and industry. He's been retained by industry and the Senate to testify before the Canadian Senate Committees on Human Rights. Currently, he's providing legal advice to the Ottawa Innocence Project run through the University of Ottawa. He appeared as co-counsel before the Ontario Court of Appeal in Hopkins v. K, a precedent-setting case relating to the interplay between provincial personal health information legislation and common law. Welcome, welcome to the episode, Michael. Thank you very much. It's great to, uh, to be with you, Gordon. Excellent. Now, Michael, first off, first question, what do you mean by therapeutic jurisprudence and what attracts your interest in it, Michael? Well, I think um, what you, you begin with with therapeutic jurisprudence is the, um, the role of creative uh, problem solving and an interdisciplinary approach to um, your legal role. So typically lawyers are called upon to problem solve um, 
for um, their clients. And um, in the area of criminal law, uh, many times uh, what happens is uh, you, you, you recognize quite quickly that the resolution of the criminal uh, law problem is not going to um, be the whole answer to the needs of your client, that they, they may have an addictions problem, they may have family breakdown, and so forth. So um, therapeutic jurisprudence involves bringing in some of the other uh, players, sometimes it's um, the healthcare professionals, to help right the ship. And uh, it can be very, very rewarding for both uh, the lawyer and the uh, client. Now, next question is, what do you mean by healer? And what attracts your interest in this role, Michael? Well, uh, again, uh, going back to therapeutic jurisprudence and this notion of interdisciplinary problem solving, you're, the lawyer is looking at, at the long-term uh, needs of a client. So let me give you a concrete example. Um, if you have a client who has been charged with an assault um, on a uh, a stranger on the street, and um, they have, uh, they are homeless, they have an addictions problem, um, and um, they, um, uh, they have happened into this situation as uh, sort of an exponent of their, um, their conduct has sort of been an exponent of this pathology, then what, what you might uh, you know, the, 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 the dealing with the assault itself is really the tip of the iceberg. What you might want to do is get the person a place, uh, start working with a social worker and a drug counselor, get the person back into the community. And, and then um, what happens is the court quickly realizes this is not a person likely to engage in any future assault. And quite often what I've found is you end up getting something like a discharge where the person won't even have a criminal record. So there's a clear, uh, you know, uh, path towards a, a global resolution. And um, I can I can say that uh, the uh, this is something that uh, I've seen time and time again when you deal with the big picture. Right. Now you use the word pathology. Are you using that in the medical sense, meaning an illness and a mental illness or something like that, or do you mean that's right? Else? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, what I'm talking about is um, uh, people quite often in the justice system have addictions problems, um, and uh, <clears throat> other mental health problems, and uh, the criminality is a byproduct. So if you deal with the larger issue, um, what you'll find is uh, you've, you've, you've basically eliminated you know, future risk. Um, so let me give you a concrete example. I mean, we had the case of a lady who had been charged with attempted murder with regards to uh, her two young daughters, she had given them some diazepam. What had happened was they, the two daughters had been horribly abused by her ex-husband, who she fled. And uh, uh, 
the conduct of the girls started to be similar to that of the father, even though they were very young, they were acting up in daycare. Well, she thought that they were going to be abusers as well. And so she couldn't take it and uh, determined to end her life. She gave the, the, the girls a little bit of diazepam so they wouldn't find her. Um, what had happened then is she took, she took an overdose and uh, luckily her parents uh, discovered everybody and um, the girls were fine. But what uh, we recognized immediately was this woman, this was a cry for help for a woman who did not have access to resources, had no understanding of what was, what was happening in her chi- ch- children's lives. And, and they needed um, both spiritual intervention, just so they would have some sort of community, but they also needed the help of healthcare professionals who could explain that no the girls the girls were were fine uh in terms of their own uh, you know uh, inclinations it's this that they were acting out as as victims very young victims often do some of the behavior that was uh you know um acted towards them so so what what i'm getting at is that that you have to, if you look at some of these cases through a, a global lens and in, in working with interdisciplinary uh, um, uh, in, you know, individuals and the team approach, quite often um, you're, you're basically writing the ship and, right. and, and that then deals with the criminality. So, I've, and I, and I found that I think the client feels a lot better and, and I must say that the lawyers benefit tremendously yes, because yes. there is a tendency in my profession, especially as you move into criminal law, um, that it, it becomes sort of the cult of the personality and that certain lawyers can do certain things that other lawyers can't do. And we have a, a tendency to dissolve sometimes too much into our reputations and not really question why we achieve some of the results we do. And if you step back, took a step back and start to analyze, you know, why it is we're successful when we're successful, many times it's because we've been able to work as a team with others and, uh, and, and, and basically um, cobble together, you know, a very, very good strategy and that it's not only something that we do, but it's something that we do together with others. And in the juris, therapeutic jurisprudence um, model, uh, you're working with other disciplines and you can clearly see how they complement each other. Now that, Michael, is all based on your own personal experiences. And is it right to say that these experiences got you thinking about the role of healer in overcoming mm-hmm. The kind of difficulties you've been talking about. Just briefly. Well, Gordon, let me tell you. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to tell you, like, first of all, I when I was working as a sole practitioner um, <clears throat> in my practice uh, about uh, 10, 15 years ago, I the first hire I made was not another lawyer. I, I basically hired a former Navy chaplain who was a drug and alcohol and anger management counselor, Dr. Kareen Langley. And together, uh, we, uh, you know, we relied upon the mutual resources of each other 
to develop strategies for sentencing and and also for trials that were very very uh, successful. And then we were fortunate enough, and uh, it was truly by happenstance that we uh, started to um, uh, look to some others in the states to see what they were doing, and we. We basically came across Dr. David Wexler, who is the, you know, the the basically the the person who's developed and promoted therapeutic jurisprudence, and we we in we we basically uh, invited him to work on a case with us in in Ottawa, which he did, and we have been in communication ever since. Wonderful and. And Michael, it is a whole, go- so, yeah, sorry. I'm going to be very rude and interrupt you, but it's what yeah. I call the tyranny of time. Um, yes. But we're going to get back to what you're talking about. But what you've been right. saying is very moving and very important. So we'll take, as I always say, the short break now because we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guest is Michael Crystal. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Health and Wellness and Variety channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us, dear listeners. We're coming back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Michael Crystal. The topic is Therapeutic Jurisprudence, a lawyer as healer. 
Now, Michael, let's talk about the difficulties faced by lawyers when clients and third parties have needs that may well be or are beyond the scope of the justice system. Michael, please explain with one or two examples, as you've just been doing, the difficulties faced by lawyers when clients and third parties have needs that may well be beyond the scope of the justice system. Michael? Yeah. Yeah, well, the, 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 the bottom line is, as you well know, um, you know, Dr. Atherley, have, having been a medical professional yourself, that uh, in some professions, there, there is uh, an incredible amount of stress that we put on ourselves and uh, really carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders with some of these cases. And, and often we feel that it, it's, it comes to us, basically, to uh, move the case from A to B. And to shoulder the entire load, um, this system in the justice system uh, quite often does not have any resources for individuals who are basically um, c- crying out uh, for help. So, um, what we end up doing is uh, basically um, looking at our clients and their families as obstacles, not as partners in our efforts to get a resolution. Uh, I wrote an article uh, a while ago called The Best Case I Never Had, which was a case basically about um, a murder case where um, I had um, uh, done a lot of work uh, trying to get the right co-counsel, get the right experts involved in the case and so forth. But... um, I hadn't really communicated any of it to my client. I was doing an end run around my client. And uh, at the moment when I had achieved what I was seeking to achieve, which is building a really good defense team, I got a call that I was fired. And I found that uh, terribly frustrating. And I took a step back after that. And I said, now, how did that happen? Here I am working very, very hard for this individual, trying to uh, put together a very, very good defense team, uh, convinced that there was a good case to 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 uh, to put forward, and I've been fired. And what had happened was the client was had been incarcerated, had a number of issues, and ha- hadn't heard from me. And uh, when he did hear from me, they were very short uh, calls, and um, they, they really didn't address his needs. Um, and that 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 was a real uh, watershed moment in my career because what it said to me is you can run around and and do all these things, but if you do not engage your client, um, you're really not um, uh, serving your client very well. And so um, what I found was when I brought in Dr. Langley in a case where there needed to be, where the family needed some, some assistance, someone to talk to about the way they were feeling. When the client, you know, uh, by getting the client some anger management or cognitive learning assistance, what I found was everyone was engaged. And not only that, when it came time, if the matter was going to go to trial, everyone was in very good shape to give evidence in court. They were, they were in the right space to, 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 uh, you know, um, give evidence as opposed to being drained, frustrated and 
basically lost as to where the case was going. So I think it's really, really important. And one of the things therapeutic jurisprudence brings out is our actual relationships to each individual in, in, in the process. And it's, it's very helpful in that regard. So I'm going. That takes me straight to my next question to you, and it's again the same format. Please explain with one or two examples how the difficulties faced by lawyers limit them in the services they can provide to clients and third parties. You know, people who have needs that may be beyond the scope of the justice system. Michael, you know, there are two things I want to talk about in answer to that question. First of all. Um, I, I know personally and have spoken to and have appeared before many, many judges. And what judges really, really desire to do is make meaningful decisions which truly impact society and the individual that's before them. And one of the things that they count on advocates to do is to put them in the position where they really can, uh, as the Bible says, uh, temper justice with mercy, uh, which is a benefit to society, the individual, and to all of us uh, uh, individuals who toil away in the justice system. And so lawyers have to go beyond uh, the law school training that we receive, the case, case analysis, the, the, you know, the legal brainstorming. What they really, really have to do is realize that what an advocate is, is a person who is going to reset the result, is going to assist an individual in getting that life that they've lost back, that they are passing through the justice system. They're not permanent tenants of the justice system. They are passing through. Now, and, let me... And if you recognize that they are passing through, then it's our job to... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I apologize. I was just getting, no, I was just going to interrupt you just on to clear one point. What about lawyers who are actually on the other side? That is, they are prosecuting in these circumstances. Other things you're talking about, the difficulties, do they relate to lawyers who are prosecuting? Michael? Well, you know, um, the, 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 you know, you have to realize that um, one, there is a tendency, because we all want to achieve and we want to be successful, there is an, a tendency in the practice of a law to equate um, convictions on the part of the prosecution with winning. And um, that, that is not the way or not the proper role of a prosecutor. A prosecutor is a quasi-judicial um, uh, has a quasi-judicial function in the Canadian justice system. They're, they're there to see that a fair trial has been held, that uh, the, the case has been, uh, the case, if there is a case to meet, has been put there. And they don't have an interest in the, uh, 
the the success or loss, uh, that they're there as a minister of justice to put a prosecution, a fair prosecution, a legitimate prosecution forward. And let me tell you, there are many prosecutors that I have dealt with over the years who, you know, practice that way. But then there are a large number of prosecutors who are out to win. Um, and, and they make, um, you know, the system very difficult. But my experience has really been that when I do my work, when I bring in a psychologist, when I bring in a social worker, when I bring in a drug counselor and I get reports and I, and I have the client doing volunteer work and, uh, have the client engaged, trying to re re-engage with society, I've often, you know, it's more more often the case than not that the prosecution will welcome that. Because, right. you know, at the end of the day, what I always saw uh, in therapeutic jurisprudence is to reconnect an individual with society. And if now, that, I'm going to, Michael, I'm if, going to stop yeah, you there. Yeah. Now, partly because um, you've led me into my next question, and also partly because we're getting just a little bit short on time. So... Society, I'm going to change that word to community. And I'm going to yes. ask you to explain with one or two examples what community means for clients and third parties who have needs that may be beyond the scope of the justice system. What for them is community? Michael? Well, well, that's a very, very good question, uh, Dr. Etherly, because I, I will tell you this. Um, often... What has happened when we are dealing with individuals who have not been, uh, you know, fallen off the tracks, have, have lost a connection to society? Um, we ask ourselves, who, how, do we, how, how do we give them community? How do we give them community? And, and what has happened in the past for us? I'll give you, I'll go back to that lady who um, had been charged with attempted murder with regards to her two daughters. Um, we engaged uh, uh, a number of um, clergy uh, in an ecumenical setting, um, and 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 basically pitched our case to them, and said, you know, uh, this this woman needs people visiting her. They need she needs people she can reach out to. She needs she she's come from away. She doesn't know anybody. Her parents are here, but she doesn't. She's not familiar with this area of Ontario. And a number of them responded very positively, and they gave her the gift of community. And and I have found time and time again. Um, this is something that lawyers, um, as they are putting together plans for maybe bail, which is released prior to, you know, disposition, a hearing or, a, you know, a sentencing hearing or a trial or, um, you know, a sentencing. This is the, the this is a role that lawyers have to play, which is to to establish, you know, uh, the, um, you know, community. You have to go out and engage it's time for a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Michael Crystal. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's health and wellness and variety channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Get 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We are broadcasting from the Phoenix studios at VoiceAmerica.com. Variety Channel, Going Global with Gas Man is the show that you are listening to. And joining me today is Sean Morley from the WWE, otherwise known as Val Venus, the big Val Boski. Hello, ladies. <laughs> and he's also got a third identification as well. He Absolutely. is Captain Cannabis. Live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. Going global with gas. Man. How the hell do they know that I got gas? If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey investment education and asset management firm and his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, Call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732-380-7271. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Michael Crystal. Our topic is Therapeutic Jurisprudence, the Lawyer as Healer. Now, Michael, let's talk about the ways you see the role of healer in overcoming the difficulties faced by lawyers when their clients and third parties have mental health needs that may be beyond the scope of the justice system, even though criminality is involved. And so the first question to you is, please explain with one or two examples of the ways in which the role of healer can assist lawyers, clients and third parties. And these are people who have mental health needs beyond the scope of the criminal justice system and there's criminality somewhere involved. Michael? Sure. So uh, one of the one of the cases that we had early on um, was um, a case where this fellow who worked at the post office um, had been caught on video um, during the Valentine Day um, sort of rush uh, or the rush up to Valentine's Day, um, what was believed to be opening mail. And uh, these these envelopes were multicolored and uh, he was on video and he appeared to just be opening these envelopes. He was a mail sorter. And uh, the Canada Post 
police and um, prosecutor approached me and said, your client is clearly uh, guilty of this. And, um, you know, we, uh, we're going to be prosecuting and this is uh, the type of sentence we're looking at. And um, I was looking at this behavior and I was speaking to my client and, um, you know, he said that he had been. And, um, but we had this video and uh, I was sitting with my colleagues uh, who were not lawyers, Dr. Langley and uh, another person and she said to me, you know, um, you know, these seem to be triggers, the different color envelopes to OCD and, and, and find out if he has, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder because he seems to be going through a ritual. Now, I wouldn't have seen that. I, I would not have understood that. I would have not have seen that. But because I was working with someone who was alive to those type of issues, she did. And we contacted a psychologist that we worked with, and clearly, clearly that was what was going on. So this was a compulsive disorder, and, and really compulsive was key because, you know, we talk about intention in law. We talk about voluntariness, and a compulsion is something we do, uh, which, you know, is something we do in a dim diminished uh, state where we are not doing things voluntarily, but we are compelled to do them. So clearly that element, that, you know, intention was not present. And uh, we played the tape uh, for the judge and, uh, and uh, he was acquitted. But um, uh, now uh, to talk about a healer, I mean, in that case, we're not really talking about a healer. We're, we're basically talking about someone who's alive to mental health issues, but the interdisciplinary environment is uh, profoundly uh, helpful to lawyers and um, awakens us to many issues that we would not be uh, awoken to. Now, if you move on to um, how we used to do things uh, uh, with uh, an interdisciplinary team and the, the healing process and so forth, um, Basically, the notion was that in order for our goal was this, this is how it worked. If we had someone who had an addiction or a violence issue, um, by the time they came before the court for a sentencing hearing, um, they would have, we would have had them serve a type of sentence. So someone, I remember there was a person had a very young family and, um, you know, uh, on one occasion, uh, you know, he uh, came home and was drinking and he took out a rifle and he was uh, basically in a, acting in a threatening manner and the police were called and he was arrested. He had no criminal record. Um, and um, what we did was uh, we um, immediately got him counseling and we uh, we had him out on bail, and during the bail period, we put him into a residential treatment facility, which was almost like a jail. And um, I remember uh, I was working with Dr. Langley on this. I was working with another drug and alcohol counselor, and I remember we appeared before the judge to uh, adjourn the matter, and we basically al alerted the judge as to what we were going to be seeking, which was a non-custodial sentence, a non-jail sentence. Uh, and and the idea was going to be that you know the jail would really be the the detox facility that he'd be in, which was high security. And I remember uh, the justice at the time saying to us, "Well, you'll have a lot. That's a real uphill battle, and um, uh, that thing better be uh, 
of, you know, uh, sort of a very uh, secure facility. Well, we went in to that facility and we photographed it and we got their brochures and we spoke to their, we got affidavits from their workers and we put together a package to show that he had spent six weeks in a very, very intense environment uh, where his rights were restricted to a great deal. And he did this voluntarily. So, um, and, and during that time, he also worked on communicating with his family and, 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 um, he, you know, he had the support of his employer. The idea being, by the time we got to court for the disposition, our 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 pitch was that he had served the sentence, and that we had engaged uh, resources in the community and 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 whatever we could to get him back on on track. And this very difficult this this very difficult case uh, was put before the judge, and the judge had initially given us a cold shoulder with our approach. And uh, at the end of the day, he uh, embraced it, and the fellow did not have to uh, serve any time in custody. In fact, he got a very reasonable disposition, was basically able to work and uh, return to his family. So the idea being that when you start to engage other members of the community, and when you start to see the criminality as someone as 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 a behavior which takes someone out of society and that your goal is to restore them back into society if they have the willingness then that's a big part of it too then you can understand how you need you know other resources and you do have to work in an interdisciplinary fashion and uh, so therapeutic jurisprudence has always made a lot of sense to me as a criminal lawyer and um uh, and has always uh you know, fueled a, a passion to to really not only be part of the justice system, but to see justice done. And um, uh, it's a it's it's I, I found it a very very good approach, and, and one that's welcomed by prosecutors and judges. So very very important. Now, yeah. Michael, we've talked before um, in the previous segment about community. Now, I'm going to ask you. Um, again, for one or two examples of how community, as we've discussed it before, helps lawyers help clients and third parties who have mental health needs that may be beyond the scope of the justice system, even though criminality may be involved. So how does the community, in the way that you've described it before, maybe you just say a word or two about it now, what it actually means, uh, how does that help? Right. Well, I think the one thing we ha- we do re- realize with mental health issues is quite often the immediate family in uh, in mental health si- situations are completely exhausted, and, um, and 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 many individuals find themselves somewhat outside of you know uh, family relationships on account of uh, severe mental health. Um, when um, uh, other disciplines are engaged, and um, there is a, a, a greater involvement by other health professionals, uh, by, 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 by various uh, societies, uh, Canadian Mental Health Association, and so forth. The individual um, is not abandoned. I mean, they feel that there is a, that they're not going through um, the difficulties alone, that there is, that they are part of society. So much of mental health 
is about shame, embarrassment, um, uh, one being pushed off the perch of acceptability and, 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 and somehow, you know, at a loss to, 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 you know, to hold on to anything, uh, any type of normalcy. And what, you know, the thing about the justice system and when someone is charged is quite often, while it's a horrible thing to have to go through the justice system, in many ways, it triggers so many resources that individuals might not have for many ways, it is that opportunity to to uh, come back to the community, and it's a, it is sad that that is often the case, but often it is um, uh, maybe uh, some sort of attack, a f- uh, physical outburst, a, uh, a uh, fight, uh, assault. Um, and that um, uh, brings in, you know, law enforcement. But w- with law enforcement comes the the justice system, and with the justice system, quite often come resources, um, come um, you know, psychological and psychiatric assessments, come uh, you know, groups that like the John Howard Society or the Elizabeth Fry Society or the Canadian Mental Health Association that work with offenders. So uh, while it seems bizarre. Uh, quite often, individuals who run a run, run afoul of the law find themselves in, in with resources they never would have had otherwise. And uh, and and lawyers. So the thing is, about defense lawyers is they have to see that opportunity and make the most of it. Uh, you know, and that's the great thing about advocacy is it it, it it you know gives you you know the the great thing about advocacy is you actually get to make a difference. Yeah, uh, but you have to see it. You know, you 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 have to see it, and it it's like a halfback in a football game. You know, seeing that line that will lead him past, you know, the defenders to to get into you know to to get the touchdown. You know, not every halfback or fullback sees that line uh, and sees where the blocking is going. Many of them just run into the defense, but. But 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 the great ones, you know, see that line and they and they and they get past, you know, those those defending players and and uh, and and uh, get in the touch, you know, you get the touchdown. So that's the way I yep. sort of see it in advocacy is, you know, these things look so miserable and your client's so difficult and the family is so alienated and all they see is gloom and doom where others see opportunity. Right. Now, once again, it's time for the break, so we're going to take it now. Um, But just to say very quickly back to you, uh, something I'm going to say again, and that is, in all of this, is hope. And it's not something that, a word that you hear too often in connection with the criminal justice system. Now, more of that in a moment. But Let's take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Michael Crystal. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on Voice America's Health and Wellness and Variety Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
we are broadcasting from the Phoenix studios at voiceamerica.com. Variety Channel, Going Global with Gas Man is the show that you are listening to. And joining me today is Sean Morley from the WWE, otherwise known as Val Venus, the big Val Boski. <laughs> Hello, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also got a third identification as well. He Absolutely. Is Captain Cannabis. Live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time on the VoiceAmerica.com variety channel. Going global with gas. Man. How the hell do they know that I got gas? If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey investment education and asset management firm. Firm, and his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732-380-7271. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Michael Crystal. The topic is therapeutic jurisprudence, the lawyer as healer, question mark. Michael, let's talk about what more you would like to do and see done to promote understanding of the concept of the lawyer as healer or the user of healers in the law profession's work um, in maybe therapeutic jurisprudence or the justice system generally. So question then is what more would you like to do to promote the understanding of the concept of lawyer as healer? Michael? Uh, well, that's you know, a very big question, but I, I have to tell you that I think it starts at the law schools and I think we have to uh, sit down, you know, um, uh, you, you, you've, you've obviously gone through medical school, I've gone through law school, we know that so much of it is um, a traditional approach that has been employed for many, many years, and um, and uh, the methodology method methodologies behind uh, legal education are are very, very um, well worn. But um, what I would like to see is uh, problem solving. Um, in uh, taught in uh, in in the law schools and an interdisciplinary approach uh, brought home to students where they uh, basically get to see how 
they can use other resources to achieve their goals. I think it's really, really important, even if it, you know, such courses only end up with the, um, you know, making the impression on lawyers that you have to sometimes go outside the profession to get the best results as a professional. Um, I think that's really, really important. Right. As, as for me, I have um, truly, um, truly uh, savored my time with other colleagues at other professions as we work together uh, on different uh, matters. And I have, uh, I have written, I, I regularly write blogs and uh, sometimes articles on the interdisciplinary approach. I uh, share my thoughts with other lawyers uh, where I can teach. I teach um, and I uh, uh, obviously engage with my uh, legal colleagues to uh, and certainly have a, you know, article students that come through our firm. I spend time with them and we discuss why it is that uh, certain uh, solutions are available and why others are not and how we can change things. Uh, right. Because if, you know, uh, uh, you have to get away from this thinking uh, that it's all us and uh, it's, a, it's a legal problem, therefore it requires a lawyer and that's the only way to approach it. We've got to get away from that and think about the big picture. Right. Now, it's the same question that I've just asked you. What more would you like to see done and by whom? Now, you've already partly answered that, but who else would you like to see promoting this understanding that you're talking about? Michael? Well, I think the I think there uh, what I would say is that uh, I think the judiciary um, has to challenge lawyers. I think the judiciary it's very important for the judiciary, uh, and and I think the mental health and 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 public health um, uh, practitioners also have to you know demand and advocate on behalf of their patients that lawyers have a sensitivity and and be and and be more open to working with them and um i think uh we really you know we all have a stake in the justice system we, we really do and we all benefit by people re-entering society as meaningful uh, contributors and so uh, as shareholders you know, just like we're all shareholders in in the health system, because we'll all ultimately all pass through it at some point or the other. Um, we all have a stake. We're all shareholders in the justice system um, at many levels. And so I think that we have to require if we are, you know, if we, if we are uh, called upon, like, you know, like, uh, and, and you see it. I mean, many religious communities, many uh, many uh, churches have uh, been involved in parole uh, programs and so forth. I mean, you know, what what I would like to see is I would just like to see more of an awakening that you know the justice system isn't just about people charged with crimes; that it's about society working properly, and and when people don't behave properly. Um, they do have to be punished, uh, but there's also 
uh, a desire to have them come back into the fold of our society and be a meaningful contributor. So in that in that role, we all have an interest, and um, and so that's that's what I'm always yep. promoting. You know. Now talking of promoting, Michael, and this is a very loaded question, but here it goes. What more would you like to see done by this talk show, Family Caregivers Unite, to promote understanding of the concept of the lawyer as healer in the law profession's work in the justice system? That is it, getting the message, the very, very important messages that you've been sharing through to the family and the family caregivers. Can this show that you've just been a guest on and done so very well on, um, can we help, do you think? Well, I think so. I mean, in this regard, I mean, I think that uh, there is um, uh, a greater role uh, for um, uh, lawyers as advocates in conjunction with uh, members of the health profession to uh, really uh, take more of a global uh, view uh, towards our justice system and really to n not only identify, uh, you know, where some of the pathology that is behind criminal behavior, but to start thinking about how families can get involved, how caregivers can get involved, what creative so solutions uh, can there be. So I see th this is an issue uh, that functions at many levels and there's 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 particular cases which require um, uh, certain uh, problem solving techniques there's there's some larger problems which really require more of a paradigm shift in the way we approach things but but uh, as i said we're all shareholders in the justice system and good the way to yeah, yeah, Michael, yeah. I'm sorry about this, but this is the tyranny of time. That's a very yeah. good concept to end on, which is shareholders in our society. Yeah. So first, thank you, Michael. Um, yeah. And may I just say to you, what you have done is to bring another word, as I said before, into the dialogue, which is that of hope. And the very last thing that I've been, when I was a physician, practicing um, the very last thing I would think of in relation to the cr criminal justice system would be hope you brought that concept uh, what I encourage you uh, to get that message out even if you have to resort to using this talk show to do it and of course I'm biased <laughs> now I want to say thank you to our listeners for comments or to ask questions here's the email address to use it's to me, Doc G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Family Caregivers Unite is one word. So please join us, dear listeners, for our next episode, which is called Discus Dementia Home Model of Care and Social Community. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being around. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 